you never know quite what to say after someone does something nice for you. So I'll just say thank you. And just truly humbled, truly honored to, to serve you as your pastor, to serve the community. And it has been the greatest adventure of my life. And this is the best church I've ever pastored. And this is what the fourth church that we've been a part of. And so uh, you can feel pretty special that this is the best one yet. And uh, for many more years to come, I, I look forward to saying that each and every opportunity that I get. And I told you last week, uh, every time we have a guest speaker, pastor, they always tell me how great you are. And I just reply and say, yeah, I know. And uh, every time I get a chance to connect with other pastors, I get the opportunity to tell them how awesome my church is. And uh, so good and honored to be a, a part of this faith community here. So thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being obedient to who God has called you to be. And I look forward to this next year, just as Frank prayed. Uh, it's been a good year. It really has been. But uh, this next year is going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. And, and next week, as we wrap up our Christmas series, um, we're going to look forward to 2020 vision. And uh, we want to have a clear path forward of what God wants us to do as a church. And so the year 2020, why not have 2020 vision? It's some of the best vision you can. If you, if you have 2020 vision and you're physically fit, you can fly a fighter jet. And that is amazing. And so if you don't agree with me, watch a video. And by the way, speaking of fighter jets, there is a new Top Gun movie coming out next summer. So 2020 is going to be a good year. All right. Let's jump into this. Let's pray this morning one more time as we enter into this moment of worship and of praise today and of, of reading of God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for you are good. Thank you that your mercy endures forever. Your love endures through all generations. And Lord, we have generations represented in our church this morning, and we are thankful for that today. God, your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient for us. And I pray this morning that we would know we are worthy to hear from you. Lord, you have made us worthy by your son, Jesus, to receive your word today. May it touch our hearts, may it impact our lives, or may it change the world around us, and may it change the world, oh God, through us. I thank you in Jesus' name for every person in the room today. May your word speak to us. Lord, may it become alive in our hearts and in our minds. I thank you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, my soul will find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is the rock of my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Today we want to talk about something that you may not think of as a form of worship. In this Christmas season, we've been talking about worship. Yeah, we can change that slide. That sounds pretty good. In fact, I have one at the end of the message there, Tracy, that says uh, the exact title of the message. But if it's not there, that's fine. But today we want to talk about this incredible form of worship that I believe if we are willing to do, if we are willing to take a step, maybe for some of us it'll be bold, it'll be difficult, but if we are willing to do this, I believe it'll help connect your soul in intimacy with God. It'll bring you closer to him at a level maybe you've never experienced before. And the title of the message today is Pour Out Your Heart. Pour Out Your Heart. It's okay if you can't find it there, unless, unless you did find it, but it's not a big deal. You heard me say it already. Can you say it with me? Pour out your heart. Look at that. It's like you've heard it before. 
Pouring out our hearts before God is an act of worship. We're not just going to worship from our mind, but we're going to worship from our heart, from our innermost being. Not just raising our hands as an outward expression, as a physical expression. Not just giving something that we talked about last week, giving our gifts, another physical. But we want to talk about the inside, the spiritual side of worship. Worshiping God from your innermost being, giving yourself to him. For those of you that find yourself very blessed, you're overwhelmed with gratitude for God, I want you to pour out your heart as an act of worship to God. For those of us who are maybe not quite there yet or not in that season of life, maybe you're feeling rather bland right now, I want to challenge you as well. Take the step of faith and pour out your heart because God is faithful and God is with you. Those of you right now who are on the complete opposite end, who are in a very difficult season of your life, above everybody else, this message is probably one that you need to hear the most, specifically for you. Right now, you may be alone. We know there's people that are alone on this Christmas season. It's hard. It's difficult. Maybe we've lost someone this past year, and they're not going to be here this year. There's pain in our hearts. There's pain inside of who we are. Maybe some of us are afraid we're we're living in fear, we're, we're uncertain of what's going to happen next. This is a message that I believe will help us pour out our hearts and move closer to God. Maybe we're dealing with a difficult relationship right now and you're in the middle of a hard time and I want to encourage you, take the opportunity today at the end of our service, at the end of our message, take the opportunity and pour out your heart and cry out to God because God, believe it or not, whether you feel it, you can know it in your mind before you feel it, you can know that God cares for you. God cares for the brokenhearted. And that's why we're going tomorrow to the hospital, to Wilkes Terrace. There are many people who won't be at home this Christmas. Or many people that has become their home, but it's their home away from home. And we get the opportunity to go and care for those who are lonely and bring Jesus to them. Because God cares for the brokenhearted. He is near those who need him. And if you need God this morning, you can trust and know, not because it's my words we're going to see here, example in a minute, that God is faithful and God cares for you. Does that sound okay with you? If you don't take anything else away today, know that God cares for you. This morning, you can jump into the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm, or Psalm 142, and there are lots of Psalms that we're going to get to today. But Psalm 142, we want to give you a biblical example of someone who is hurting in a dark time, in a dark season of their lives, and they choose to pour out their heart and cry out to God for answers. We're going to look at God's word and learn the, the act of worship, how to pour out our heart to God. In fact, this is the first verse we're going to start with David, who's at a very low point in his life. Now, lots of times when you read prayers or you expect something good to start, something cheery, something happy, like, oh, great are you, Lord. How magnificent, how majestic is your name. And it's really easy to sing those words and say those words and tell people how good God is when you're having a good day. When you get the smile on your face, when you get the phone call you've been waiting for, when you get the promotion you want, when you get the Christmas bonus that you've been waiting for and worked so hard for, you get that opportunity, that smile on your face when you get the news of a new baby in the family or an engagement or a proposal, some sort of good news. But what happens when all of that is flipped upside down and you get the phone call you don't want? When you go through seasons and, and loss and things that you don't like and you don't want, 
Sometimes we need to be brutally honest with God. And we see David here in a low part of his life. And this is what he says in Psalm 142, verse 2 and verse 5. I pour out before him my complaint. Anyone here ever complained to God before? Maybe you didn't intentionally complain to God, but you ever utter the words, Oh God, why? Oh God, not now. Oh God, no. Why God? David says, I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. Verse 5 says, I cry to you, Lord, I say. Notice he says, I cry to you, Lord. He's not crying like a baby. He's crying out in desperation. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. He said, I pour out my complaint before the Lord. He's not saying, God, you're so wonderful. God, you're so good. He's saying, oh God, my life is difficult. My life is hard. I need you. He pours out his complaint before God. He says, I am in trouble. And then the next he says, I cry to you, Lord, for help. Then we're going to go and watch as he calls God something very special. He says, God, you are my refuge. God, you are my refuge. Psalm 62, 8 says, trust in him at all times. You people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Can you say refuge this morning? God is our refuge. A little research on the word refuge in both of these circumstances. As he cries out to God, he realizes that God is his refuge. In fact, in case you don't know this, in Levitical cities in the, in the Old Testament, there were six cities of refuge. And so what those existed for, they were, they were like a safety net. So if you were driving in your car and you accidentally killed somebody, Obviously, they didn't have cars in the time, but go with me on this. If you accidentally killed somebody, there was some sort of mishap, uh, the person's family member had the right to try to kill you as, as payment for taking away their family member. And so they set up these cities of refuge for circumstances just like this. And if you could run to that city of refuge, that safe place, as long as that person was in that city, they were to be unharmed and untouched by that family member seeking revenge. And they could stay in that city until that family member passed away, and then it was as if the slate was wiped clean. They had an opportunity for refuge, a safe place. Have you ever noticed that children often have safe places? Maybe it's a blanket, a stuffed animal, uh, you know, when, when they're uncertain about something, they, they hold on to that blanket, that stuffed animal a little bit more. How many here have a stuffed animal or blanket or some sort of safety net? All right, how many, maybe you just have it more, it's more of a nostalgia now. But my, my wife has this little stuffed bunny, Kate. And it's the cute little bunny. And that, for her as a child, was her safety net, so to speak. If she was having a sad day, a hard day, an emotional day, she felt scared at night, whatever the case was, she'd hold on to that bunny. I was going to bring it, but I didn't. It's, it's on the other side of the bed. So I'm, I'm now her safety, but Kate's on the other side of the bed. <laughs> maybe you've seen, yeah, maybe you've seen Charlie Brown. And what's the character who's got the blanket? Linus. 
He's everywhere he goes, he's got his, you just imagine how dirty that blanket gets, how nasty that blanket gets. But it's, it's a sign of safety. It makes them feel safe. How many of you, when you were a kid, you had that safe place? I asked you that. Some place you felt really safe. It's interesting that as we grow older, our safe place doesn't become a place or a thing. It tends to become a person. It becomes to be a, you know, a spouse or a parent or a close friend. Someone that looks out for you becomes someone that's strong. Mummy and daddy are always the best. They become the safe place. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who shows up. It doesn't matter what we're going through. As long as mommy and daddy are with me, I know that I am safe. You know, why is it that monsters only come out of the closet once mom and dad close the door to the room? Because I'm safe with mommy and daddy. Why is it when I'm laying in bed, I know that I'm safe but if I were to put my toe over the side of the bed, the monster can grab up and grab my foot. Anyone ever go to bed? You're laying in bed and, you know, it's maybe just sort of this quiet, this dark night. And you get on, maybe it's cold and you get in the bed and, and you're like, I, I'm just, I'm alone. I'm just kind of uncertain. And you just don't want to, you know, if I put my foot over the bed, something's going to grab my foot or something's going to grab my hand. Everyone, anyone ever feel that before? And you just wrap yourself tighter in the blankets and you go, oh, I'm safe. I'm warm. They can't get me here. <laughs> but you know, as soon as you put that, that foot over, you end up, you know, in the danger zone. You get a little bit closer. That's like the highway to the danger zone, another Maverick. I just learned about Maverick this week, or the Top Gun movie this week, so I'm excited. <laughs> but it becomes safe. It becomes safe for us. Why are, we, why are we talking about this? It's to help us understand that God is like that safety net. God is like mom and dad walking into the room. He is our refuge. Call out to him. Pour out your heart before God because that is a safe place. That is the safe opportunity where you can express all of your feelings, all of your emotions, all of your fears, all of your guilt, all of your doubt. It's a safe place where you can lay everything on the table before him. It's a safe place where God wants the real you. You know, I put a smile on my face, and sometimes I put a smile on my face to tell my body, to tell my inside to be happy, because I have a lot to be thankful for. But on the inside, I may not feel it very much. Now, sometimes I tell myself to smile because you're more likely to sing on key when you're smiling than when you're not. But the reality is, is God doesn't want our fake smiles. He wants everything, the good, the bad, and definitely the ugly, because he is safe. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, we have, a, we have a couple children. Actually, we have three. We have three children, not, not just a couple. And as parents, you know, as, as trying as it can be sometimes, we love to be needed. You know, and you know, it makes me feel really good when there's no, no one else can do what daddy does. I need daddy to do that. I don't need, you know what's even better? I don't want mommy, I need daddy. <laughs> then, then, then my heart sings. But we love to be needed. 
And, and maybe there's times you want our kids and we teach them to be independent. We teach them the skills and the things that they need. And we send them off to Adeline at school and she really gets them straightened out with her team at the, in the classroom there. By the way, I have to tell you, Adeline has got to be one of the most amazing educators in our community. I just got to share that with you. She's part of an amazing team. I'm biased because my child is in, in the classroom that she works in. But watching her interact with students, I'm just so blessed. You know, she's someone that we need. And it, to me, it's a reflection of the Father's love for us and the Father just helping us live this life. So just pause and say thank you to Adeline today. I don't mean to single you out, but sometimes the Holy Spirit just puts that in your heart and you need to, you need to say it. But I've seen, I'm just going to brag on our teachers here this morning. I know Amy's a teacher as well. She's a really good one. That's what I hear. I've never been in her class. <laughs> Most of the time that I've known her, she's been on maternity leave, but she's an excellent mom. I've seen that. <laughs> but what, what, what I know is this, is that there's, there's these little children, they come, and they bring everything to school with them, right? They bring the good, the bad, the ugly. And watching the educators in a, in, at all different levels interact with our children, it's just an amazing picture in the world, nonetheless. It's an amazing picture of God's love for us. And God accepting us just as we are, ready to help us deal with whatever situation we're going through. They learn to celebrate with us. They learn to laugh with us. But they also learn to cry. And they learn how to help us deal with life as it happens. So thank you. It's the same picture when we come before God. Lay everything on the table. Pour out your heart before God. Cry out to him. It's an act of worship. So let's go through a few things today that's going to help us before we get to the end of our service where you're going to have an opportunity. You don't have to physically cry today. That's not what I'm saying. But you're going to have an opportunity to lay it out before God. And then we're going to have a time together at the communion table where we get to just give God as a symbol. You just get to give him everything. Just lay it out before him. We're going to be able to give him everything as a sign of trust, as a sign of faith, and a try to believe that God is with us. God is Emmanuel. God with us. So number one, a few things to remember this morning. When we're going through hard times, when we're going through difficult situations, when maybe it was, we're sort of half and half, life is good, God is good, we feel good, but we're going through difficult things, it's important to remember this one thing. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. Remember his faithfulness in the past. As you cry out to him, reflect back on God's goodness. Reflect back on God's faithfulness. In fact, look at Psalm 42 for a moment. And most scholars believe that David was probably the one to write this psalm. We don't know for sure, but it's believed that it was him when he was dealing and going through the problems he was having with his son. Uh, if you want to talk about a difficult father-son relationship, look at the relationship between David and his son, Absalom. His son had rebelled against him. And a lot of people were saying to David, we believe that God has turned against you, David. We believe that God has rejected you, David. And that is why your son is misbehaving. And he's at this very incredibly low point in his life. And if we are to believe he's the author of this psalm, here are the words that he writes. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Maybe that's you today. Say, I, I, I sleep in tears, I wake up in tears, and I, I wonder, where is God? 
Where is this God that Pastor Gary is talking about, that we sing about, that we go to church and hear about? Where is this God that you speak of? Then in verse 4, it's sort of the key to the rest of the verse. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. You could almost see the gears begin to turn. The things begin to change inside of his head. He begins to shift his attention. I remember the days when I could walk into the house of the Lord with joy, with gladness, and I could honor God and I could sing his praises because I was in the house. I was in the protection of God, the mighty one. And then he says in verse five of chapter 42, with my soul, you are downcast. I'm sorry, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed, disturbed with me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. He's speaking to his soul. It's like a split personality. You ever see someone talk to themselves out loud? Sometimes it's ridiculous. Sometimes you have to speak out loud and talk to your soul to get it in line with where God is at in you. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed? Why do you trouble me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves and sometimes we have to say it out loud. I am choosing to praise God. Soul, will you not join me in praising God? I don't know about you, but every now and then, I find myself in these moments. I find myself, maybe it's just a moment of frustration. Maybe it's because of my own problem, maybe my own um, lack of capacity or whatever the case is. Shortcoming in my own life, you can get frustrated and you say, Oh God, why am I in this situation? Oh God, why would you let me be in this place? God, why am I here? And oftentimes I find this moment and I'm in a moment of need and maybe I'm just discouraged, I'm down. It happens, even to pastors. We believe it or not, we have bad days. In fact, there was a day the other day, I wasn't, it wasn't a bad day, it was just a grumpy day. Sometimes you have grumpy days and you don't want to interact with them, you don't want to see anybody, you don't want to, DeGraff said, you know, I saw him, I see him all over the place and it's true, I love it. It's, it's the best part about living in a small town is, is that, fleck, that, that, that ability to connect with people on, on a whim. On, it's just amazing. Uh, in fact, you probably, if, if I'm remembering, maybe he saw me and I didn't know he saw me, but he gave me a ride. But I was actually coming from, from I wasn't at the gym now. Just, <laughs> I was at the chiropractor. Okay. <laughs> Tyler hasn't quite won me over to the gym yet, but... Although I got a compliment at the high school, I was at the high school on whatever night that was for the Christmas concert, and one of the ladies said, did you lose weight? And I said, no, I put on a nice shirt. <laughs> just, just standing up a little straight, maybe because I was at the gym that morning. But, but there's some days you go around, it's just not a good day, you know, and it's, I, I know, I, I've had a really amazing, blessed life. Um, there's, there's so much in my life to be thankful for, and when, especially when you, not that you want to compare your life with others, but there's some people that have gone through some incredibly hard things that I have been, I just haven't had to face personally. But one thing I know that's true because I have family and I have friends that have been there. And the ones that hold on to their faith, they say, it's, my faith is the only thing that ever got me through it. Holding on to Jesus is the only thing that ever got me through those, those moments. 
But when in my, my moments of anger, I've been angry, I've been frustrated, and usually it's just an emotional response that leads me to a point of praise, but I just come and I, I lay myself out before the Lord. Sometimes it's an angry, angry voice just saying, oh, oh God, why in the world am I doing what am I doing? Why in the world is it going this way and not that way? Why is this not happening? And usually in those moments, God's pretty silent. And as you talk to him more, I begin to express myself, pour out my heart to him. And, and then you begin to realize that as you start talking to God, you start thinking about who you're talking to. And you think, I can't believe I just said that to God. The other side of it is you start to remember who God is. And when you start to know who God is, when you really already know him, then you know that he's good. You know that he's good. You know that he's faithful. And it begins to turn our attention away from the problem, away from the feelings. So many times you make decisions based on our feelings. And sometimes we have to make a decision, but we have to do our best to, to take the feelings out of it and change our perspective. We need to put our hope in God. And I want to give you a chance to cry out to God and put your soul before him today. And as we do that, we want to remember the faithfulness of God in your past because he's been there for you. You know, bon, was it John Bon Jovi says, I'll be there for you. These five words, I swear it's true. I'm going to be there for you. I'll be there for you. You know, or the Friends theme song, I'll be there for you. And it's just don't believe it. <laughs> People aren't that good. They're not that dependable. Have friends, have close ones, be a good friend. But you know what? Nothing compares. Nothing compares to the closeness of God. Because when I say to you that God will be there for you, you can believe without a shadow of it. It doesn't matter who's let you down in the past. It doesn't matter if the pastor has disappointed you in the past. God will always be there for you. So remember his faithfulness when you're going through the hard time. When you're pouring out your heart before him, remember God's faithfulness. Even if you don't, you don't have to like the situation you're in. You can be in the wrong situation. What has happened shouldn't have happened. But no matter what, God is always good and he is for you. Look at Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah in, writes in Lamentations. We'll read it here in a minute. But uh, you want to see a guy who's had a bad month? Read through some verses of Jeremiah. Read through some of the things that Jeremiah went through. In uh, 20 verses, he lays out the pain and anguish and the complaints that he's experiencing. And, and believe it or not, you actually have permission to do this before God as well. You, you have permission to lay out what's going on. You have permission to lay out your marriage, your relationships, your kids, your job, your finances. You have permission to lay out every anguish in your life before God. It's exactly what Jeremiah does. And some people might even think, that's disrespectful. That's not reverent before God Almighty, the Savior. Listen, God already knows what's in your heart. So if you're already thinking it, if you're already feeling it, you might as well vocalize and verbalize it before him because he already knows it's in there. But when you lay it out before him, it's giving him permission to respond. This is what he says in Lamentations. Say Lamentations. Not a, not, a ver, not a book, the Bible, we, we read very often. 
It's not the most encouraging, uplifting, you know, experiences, but this is what he says in 319 to 23, words of Jeremiah. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Verse 21. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. He goes on page after page, 20 verses of his pain and his suffering. And he goes, great is your faithfulness. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. In the midst of his desperate cry from his soul, he recalls the goodness of God. Yet I call this to mind, therefore I have hope. Then watch this. He's talking to God. He's talking to God. He's complaining to God. And he says, great is your faithfulness. Some of us this morning need to think back to the time when we experienced his faithfulness. And maybe, maybe some of us can't think back. Maybe it's just too new. Maybe we've never been there. So maybe today will be the first time you really experience the faithfulness and the peace of God. Remember when God healed the relationship. Remember that time you walked into church and it was like the pastor was talking directly to you. I've been in those moments. You think, how does the pastor know what's going on? He's, I haven't talked to him. He doesn't know anything. Maybe he's stalking me on Facebook or something like that. How does he know? It's when God spoke to you. I can remember growing up and, and, and as a teenager, our church was going through a difficult time financially and they were talking about reducing the salaries of the staff and letting some staff go. We had a, we had a, a Christian school and which meant would have been less teachers. All of these challenges were, were mounting and, and other things were, were coming and just challenge after challenge after challenge. I can remember we were in a meeting, we were praying, we were praying and we were praying and there was an opportunity, uh, not an opportunity, I remember Someone began to speak about the past, the past how God had been faithful in our church. And they began to tell the story before we ever had a building. And, and, and for Sunday after Sunday, the pastor had the, the opportunity to have a hall that they would rent for free on the condition that they would clean up from the parties the night before. And it was like this dingy, dark hall. And so there they would be, the pastor, his wife, and a few volunteers. They'd be sweeping up the beer bottles and the broken glass, mopping the, the booze off the floor and any blood from any bar fights or any, anything, all of the, everything. Anything you can imagine that would be at this party was there. And they'd be slugging through, cleaning the stuff so they could have a church service. And they were praying. They had some money saved. They said, God, we need a building. And they'd go to town council and say, we need land to build a building. Or we need a, some spot for you to designate to be a church. And they looked all through the town, the municipal planning, all these things. They could not find them any land. Month after month after month, they'd go back, they'd go back, they'd go back. Still nothing could be found. And, and finally, the mayor sort of put his fist down at the table and said, is there not something we can do for this guy to get him out of this meeting? And this counselor sort of puts up his hand. And he says, well, I've been keeping my mouth shut because it's a conflict of interest. I have to break the rules here, but I have a piece of property that we can sell them and they can use. And long story short, God gave them a piece of land on top of the hill, 28 First Avenue in Sioux Lookout. You can go there today. The church is still there. And, and there's a moment where they have very little money. They spend it to buy this property. It turns out this church was an old dairy or this building was an old dairy farm. Uh, there used to be cows in the back of the church. The pastor 
pastor's office is the room they used to hold the ice cream. And so the Catholic Church would call the Pentecostal Church the Church of the Holy Cow. Just, <laughs> just the way it went. They're into the Holy Spirit, Church of the Holy Cow. That'll, that'll work. But there's a story that Pastor Mike and Pastor Len, who was the associate pastor at the time, they say, you know, here they are standing at this property. They're getting ready to build the auditorium where people will meet and worship. And they can hear the excavator and the machinery coming up the hill. And they sort of look at each other and realize they have this moment. We have no idea what we're doing. Neither of us have ever built anything to this scale before. And as they started digging, the wall began to fall, the back wall, because they started moving around the earth. The foundation wasn't that great at that spot. And at the right time, at the right moment, the right people showed up. Some guys that worked for CN came and went to work, got a couple jacks. They got the cement truck there. They did everything they needed to do. And, and God sent a contractor to the church at the right time who helped them organize a building project to get it done. And by the time the building was built, they had absolutely no debt at all. And they had a building where they could meet in. Years later, they did another project. They, was, they were running out of room there for the ministry that they were doing. They didn't have enough space. There was, the room wasn't very big. And so they put out another call to build an addition onto the building. And again, they, they, they prayed and they waited on God to provide for their needs. And God provided money, resources, people, teams, and they built a new addition debt-free. And so here we are years later praying, God, we're in this tough spot. We need you to do a miracle again. We need you to intervene. And at just the right time, God provided the right amount of funds, the right people to do the ministry that he had called us to do. But it took that moment of prayer. It took that moment of lament. It took that moment of pouring out our heart as a church before God to say, God, we need you. This is about you. This is about your kingdom. This is about what you want to do. Show us the way. Here's the problems that we're having. And God made a way. No one lost their job. No one had to cut and pay, God made a way. God was faithful. We remembered his faithful. Jeremiah said, yet I call this to mind and therefore have hope. Cry out to God, say, do it again. Pour out your complaint. Tell him you don't understand that it doesn't make sense. Look back at God's faithfulness. Number two, Two and final this morning. Remember God's faithfulness in the past, and let's remember God's faithfulness in the future. As you pour out your heart, remember God in the past. Second thing is remember to hear, to pour out your heart to God, to trust Him, to trust in God's power for your future. Trust in His power for your future. Psalm 102, 102. And maybe some of you are at a point in your own life, in this moment? Do you understand what the psalmist is going through, what the writer is going through? He pours out his heart to God. Listen to these words, the honesty in his words. Psalm 102, this is what he says. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. Verse 5. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. Verse 7, I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Verse 9, 
For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. Verse 12. But you. I always love when you find a but in a sentence like this. In a verse like this. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. What gener- Are you part of any of these generations here in this room? Or are you excluded from this? I didn't think so. Your renown endures through how many generations? Oh, not the boomer generation. Not the millennial generation. Maybe Gen X and Gen Z, but not the boomers or millennials. No, all generations, your renown will be known. Verse 17, he will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Some of you, you're about to have a but God moment. Years from now, you're going to be telling somebody the same story. You're going to be sharing with them the same message of hope. You say, I was at this low point in my life, but God. I was here. I was going through this. This is what was happening, but God. You are going to have a but God moment. At some point, at some point, you will push through the pain to the point of praise. You will push through the pain to the point of praise. God, I don't understand. God, I don't like it. God, I wish there was some other way. Oh, but God, you are still in charge. But God, you are still on your throne. But God, your purpose and your plans are still in place. God, you have plans to prosper your people, to bless your people, not to harm them, to give them a hope, to give them a future. God, this sucks. God, this hurts. God, this is hard. God, help me. God, this is no good. But God, you are good. But God, you are faithful. If you're hurting this morning because of a loss, push through to the praise. Maybe it's the worst thing imaginable, the worst pain you could ever feel. Maybe you're suffering through a loss of a relationship. Maybe the loss and, and difficulties with, with medical issues. Maybe you're dealing with, with you fill in the blank, X, Y, Z, hurting for a friend, and your heart breaks for them. Push through the pain to the point of praise. And in those moments, it will come when you least expect it. When your cries, suddenly you realize who you're talking to, and you realize how much God cares. He's close to the brokenhearted, And suddenly your plea for help turns to praise because he is good and he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy. Push through the point of pain to to the push through the pain to the point of praise. And suddenly you'll stop pleading and you'll start praising. You'll stop pleading and you'll start worshiping him. You know, it's, it's kind of a silly illustration, but it's kind of like Tim Horton's coffee. Or McDonald's French fries. If you go to Tim Hortons in Nipigon and you get a coffee, large double-double, whatever you like to drink, and then you finish that coffee and you drive to Thunder Bay and you hit the Tim Hortons, I think there's one on Rin River Road, and you get another large double-double, that coffee, it's their goal that it tastes the same no matter what location you're at. If you go to McDonald's and get the French fries on Red River Road and then you go to the McDonald's on Memorial and you go to the McDonald's on Arthur Street... Those French fries should taste the same. That is their goal. Not that God is any much like a French fry or Tim Hortons coffee is 
Trust me, he's, he's far beyond that. But the sustained flavor of God is the same. The same experience of God is the same because he never changes. God is faithful. Suddenly out of your pain, you find yourself in the ability to worship, not because life feels good, not because things have changed, but because God is always good. Because God is always good. He's always been faithful in the past. He's good in the present. Therefore, we can trust him with your future. So I'm going to sing, uh, it's actually an older song this morning. And hopefully I, I get it right. The words and all this and that. But I'm going to sing a song. And as I sing it, I want you to take a moment and begin to pour out your heart before God.